0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: But for just a moment, I want you to realize that when I'm going to be speaking these next two weeks on reducing conflict in relationships... You can imagine the conflicts that Carol and I have had with all of those moves and setting up new bank accounts and going to new doctors and new neighbors and what to pack, what to sell, what's an heirloom, what's a piece of junk. You know, that kind of thing. And it was all right there. Now, that's just life in America. And we don't have that kind of persecution. But that's what they had. So when we go through these two weeks of studying how to reduce conflict, I want you to know that Peter was writing to a group of people that had horrific conflicts due to all the stresses of their life that was filled with persecution. And so for maybe you and me, we might be able to extrapolate from this passage biblical truths that might help us. Now I got thinking, why in the world would Peter write those kinds of things of how to live better with one another in the midst of that persecution? Well, for one reason, when you're going through this, pretty soon you could feel like you are all alone and that you're the only one, or who is your friend? Who is your forever friend through all of this? And you could feel pretty abandoned, especially when some of your own people begin to challenge you, question you, doubt you, criticize you, condemn you, and even marginalize you, let alone the lost world. And so he's now telling them you need to get along, perhaps even for your own emotional and social well-being. But I think there's another reason. If I take that whole concept through even Scripture, I think there's a higher reason. I really believe that the Lord was smiling because these Christians, not so much that they were going through conflict, although God knows better and how it was building character, but I really believe this, that the world was looking to see the authenticity of what Christianity is all about by the way believers would, would live their life in the midst of horrific conflict. And perhaps they would realize that There's no way, humanly possible, someone could ever live a stable life, full of joy, nearly conflict-free, in the midst of this disruption. There's got to be something supernatural about these people. they got something that I don't have. And then you look at the lost world and all the conflict that they had looking at that, they probably would say, what you have, I don't have. What you have, I want. How do I get what you have? But they will never do that if we as Christians, or they as Christians in those days, lived a life that was full of stress and conflict, just like the lost world did. So he's really saying, step up a notch. Turn up the volume a little bit. Because right now, the authenticity of the gospel is often lived out through your testimony to show that there's something supernatural that's in you that's helping you to get along with other people. And maybe what the Lord is going to do in our lives these next two weeks is, because we've been through a lot of stuff as a group, that maybe it's that time that we can now allow the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ himself to help us to look at life and each other in a way that people then would look at us and say, wow, there is something special. My, how they love one another. They must be true disciples of Christ. Now, as I look at the world, I look at how good God is, and yet sometimes I smile because doesn't the Lord love diversity? Just look at each other in this room. Just look around right now. We have young and old and tall and short and otherwise, I'm very careful how I say that. So anyway, we all have all different kinds of people in this world. But you know what else amazes me is how that there are so much diversity, so many different kinds of people, and yet for some reason they end up marrying one another. Have you ever noticed how opposites attract? You know how it is when you're dating, you come together and you're trying to find out what do you have in common that you might be able to connect with. And all those sweet things that you liked each other when you were dating, they become the most greatest, largest irritants after you get married. So opposites do attract, don't they? But then after they get married, they attack. What we need to do then is to learn how to attach And so while we're going to talk about conflict, some of you that are in marriage right now, you might just go down memory lane over the last few weeks or months or maybe a few years and you could look at some of the conflicts that you had. And I don't want to beat you up. I want you to look at some ways that you could have some attitudes that will help you face the future with a lot more joy than what you've had in the past. Now, those of you who aren't married and have not been a part of that experience, I want you to know that it's very much the reality of life that there'll be people that you work with, people you go to school with, perhaps you even have conflicts on a nearly daily basis with the neighbors in your neighborhood that you'll have. Well the Bible does speak to it. Now there are six attitudes that we should have from this passage and because I want to really take it slow I'm going to take those six and just divide them in half and give us three to work on. And these three I believe that because of the Holy Spirit's in us, if we own these three Let's use these three and say, all right, this week I'm going to take three words, just three words now, and I'm going to let God change my heart, oh God, in these three areas. Well, let's see what they might be. Let's look at the first word. What attitude do we need to have in order to reduce reduce conflict in relationships? The first one would be the word sympathy. Not a long statement for you to have to remember, just think in terms of the word sympathy. Now, if you look at the passage, here's what you read. It says, all of you should be of one mind full of sympathy toward each other. Now, if you have your pen, you might want to underline it in your Bible or on your little uh, sheet there. Circle or underline the word, all of you. That means that there's no one that is left out of this message. That means I'm involved in it, you're involved in it, we all are, all of us. And then it said, should be of one mind. The New International Version says it a little differently. It simply says this, live in harmony with each other. I like that word harmony because that means that there will be a little different sound that's coming out but it all harmonizes and you know what dis, uh, discord is and how that's like fingernails on a chalkboard that's not harmony that's discord but when you have harmony you're gonna have a little bit different but we're singing the same song we're gonna start the same time hopefully end on the same note you know what I mean and that's harmony and that's what the NIV says that we should live in harmony with one another. But go a little bit further in the verse, it says this, toward each other. I like the word toward there because it's not waiting for someone else to show sympathy to me or to be in harmony with others that others have to take the first step. It's me going to them. So the idea is I'm to reach out and to look at all people that are within my sphere of contact or influence and I should live in harmony toward each one. Well, let's go back now to the phrase full of sympathy. When I think of sympathy, I don't know what you think of, but I think of sympathy when someone is sympathizing with me, and I really believe it's authentic, it's not the fake kind of stuff, but they really are sympathizing with me, here's what they're doing. They're getting in touch with my feelings, they're getting in touch with my frame of reference, they're trying to truly understand who I am and why I do the things that I do. And so maybe that would be good to turn it towards other people now. Think about their world and to sympathize with them. Think about what goes on in their mind. Not just their ideas and their values of what they they think is important, but talk about what they're going through and how they might see it. I like to look at it in a way that might help them to, to see that they are truly being understood. Now, Think about that for a moment. Are they really feeling like they are understood and they're being understood? Now, Sometimes I like to look at it that they feel like their feelings are even real or okay. Sometimes my wife and I, we joke about this when we get into one of these conflicts, and she's heard me talk about this, so she gives it back to me, so it's really interesting when I am married to the fourth person of the Trinity who reminds me of these things. But sometimes, I'll be telling her something, and I've used the illustration that if you see Indians in this parking lot out here, uh, then there are Indians to you. Now, the fact is, they may not be out there, but to that person, they see Indians in the parking lot, and so... Sometimes um, I'm saying to her on an issue, it's just not so, that's not reality, that's just not how it is. And she'll with a nice smile on her face as she so humbly does with a glimmer in her eyes she says, but I see Indians in the parking lot, so therefore to me that's real. I'm telling you that right then it causes me (laughs) great discomfort. (laughs) But it does kind of remind me at that time, it's like hearing that bell again, that I need to remember what I'm telling to others. But for just a moment, instead of always trying to sell your case to the other person, it might be good for you to help them understand that you understand what they're going through and that you do believe that to them, their their feelings are real and even maybe okay when they do that. So then you might ask yourself, how can I become more sympathetic to other people? I mention this an awful lot, but I think you will understand. How do I become more sympathetic to other people? How do I really understand them? How can I really touch their feelings? And that is, if I might ask some questions, and as I do, not accusative questions to try to get them to my point of view, but questions to understand their point of view, their point of reference. So we do it simply by listening. Notice James chapter 1, verse 19, it says this, let every person, wow, there it is again. No one's left out. Let every person be, and there are three things, and you can number these. Be quick to hear, notice that comes first, then slow to speak, and number three, slow to anger. It's interesting how we get the anger, then we speak, and then we listen. Don't we have it backwards usually? Well maybe some of you that are going to be going into some relationships with other people, you might remember that verse, that maybe the first thing we do is, instead of having that person understand us let's make sure that we really understand them so we can connect to them a little bit better. Look at Romans chapter 15, verse 2, and here's what you read. It says this. Let each of us, there it is again, no one's left out. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good for the purpose to build them up. Well, if you want to write in your margin, let me give you some ways that you might look at that other person to recognize that that conflict may be coming from a point of reference that they have from their site rather than from yours. I'm going to give you some general, but I want you to think about these. First of all, we're going to talk about that everybody has what is known as a motivation. If you're a Christian, you actually have two basic motivations. The first motivation everybody has, we call that your natural motivation, and that would be coming out of your personality style. That's what you do when you don't have to think about how you're coming across, that's your natural motivation, that's your DNA, that's your wiring system. Some are outgoing so the first thing they do is talk, others are very quiet and contemplative so they cocoon. Others all they want to deal with is problems that happen to do with tasks, others don't care anything about the task, all they want to do is deal with people. So we call that your natural motivation, your personality style. Those that are Christian not only have a personality style, a natural motivation, but when they trusted Christ as Savior, they get what is known as a supernatural motivation, which is known as a spiritual gift. Now, that spiritual gift is given to you when you trust Christ as Savior. And the purpose of that gift, actually, is to glorify the Lord by building up other people. And so you use that gift as a tool to build up others, not as a weapon to tear them down. Now, that person has a particular spiritual gift. So sometimes when they come at you and they're talking to you and you got conflict, they're often seeing the situation from their gift. For example, if they have the gift of teaching, that's why they're going to give you so much information. They want you to know and so they're going to inundate you until you still or you agree with what they're thinking about. So truth, knowledge, facts, information. Some have the gift of Mercy. And so that's why you might be in conflict with them. They're the kind that will bring home every bird that's got a broken wing and a stray dog, and, 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 and then you get into relationships. They feel sorry for all the down and outers, and they go and they give away so much, and now you've got a conflict, but that's their spiritual gift that they're doing this. So once you understand, again, their personality style, their spiritual gift. Here's something else. Inside of each one of us, God is wanting to build His kingdom with a kaleidoscope of styles and personalities because there are so many other people that are out there that you'll touch that I won't touch. So sometimes He'll do that through what we'll call passions or desires of your heart. There's certain things that I'm pretty passionate about and those of you that will know that, I love to build up leaders, I enjoy getting involved in people's lives, etc., those types of areas. Now, others of you might be really passionate about pro-life. Others of you might be really passionate about a particular age people group. Some of you might be pretty passionate about an ethnic group or or something else. So whatever you have this within your heart, this passion, that too comes into play, although you might not speak that language, but that's what's driving you. And that's what's causing us to maybe dig our heels in on an issue. So again, sympathy means that I'm going to ask the right questions And then I'm going to listen with my mind and my heart with the desire that in some measure we can get on the same page. Now, for those of you who are adults, I just came across this recently. They were doing some surveys on couples that were having trouble with intimacy. And that recent survey indicated that physical intimacy is more satisfying, I'm reading it now, when couples empathize, feel the feelings of one another with each other. In other words, when the two couples really feel like they're really being understood and their sympathy and empathy going towards one another, that then unleashes this desire for more of that oneness of intimacy together. Now, for some of you that need it even more simply than that, let me give you the word intimacy. It means, into me see. And so, perhaps the conflict you're having with the sympathy is because you don't have that intimacy there because we haven't taken the time to into me see that other person. So I hope that might be helpful to you. If you will, look at the little uh, graph I put there in front of you. You can see that it says poor on one side and great on the other. What I'd like you to do, I only have three of these in this message, so here's the first one. What I'd like you to do is in your mind, look at that. How are you at sympathizing with the person or the person group that you have the most conflict? Do you feel like you're poor maybe a two or a three or a four I want you to just circle the number that you think you are that you're pretty good at sympathizing with other people would you do that for just a moment good now what I'd like you to do if you can be really gut honest with yourself if I was to come into your house and I was to ask the other people in your house how would they rate you on your ability to sympathize with them how would they rate you and what number would they give and whatever number you think they would give about you would you put a box there and those of you that are doing that, if you're sitting next to your mate or a family member, don't look at their list, okay? Don't have time to stop the message and referee something. But I wanted you to see that sometimes we can often have a higher opinion of ourselves and our ability to perform in the Christian world than maybe our mate does. And maybe it would be good for you to sit down and not to cause conflict, but so that both of you can then feel the other person and why they came across that way and then how you can be better so that your numbers would begin to match up and hopefully on the higher end. So how would you rate yourself? Now remember, these are the things, once we're passionate about living a life in harmony and obedience to the Lord, that this world will look upon and see in us, and they'll want to be a part of it. All right, here's the second word, it's the word devotion. So the first word is sympathy, the second word is the word devotion. It's in the same verse, so it's talking about, let everybody do this toward one another. And what is that? Loving one another. Now I like the way the New King James translates it, because those of you that have the New King James, it says this, love as brothers. And I like that because I like the term band of brothers. I think there was a TV show. I haven't seen it, but I heard about it, a band of brothers. But it seems like our lifeguards, there's a little bit of a band of brothers there. Some of you that are on a team, you have a band of brothers. Some of you are in a family where all the brothers just seem to really be clicking together and you have what is known as a band of brothers. It's when you don't uh, compete with one another, you complete one another. Now, when I mean complete one another, I don't mean you finish them off, okay? You work with them to make them stronger and make them better, but together you're a band of brother. In the margin, you might want to write a word down that might also help you focus a little bit about being devoted to someone. A common word, because we don't use that today, I don't say I'm devoted to Dennis as my partner over here as my associate in the ministry, but I might use the word loyal. So write that word down. I'll be loyal to them. And that would be a good word to bring into the relationship with your husband and your wife. Are you really loyal to them? Do they really experience that loyalty? And I'll tell you that once they have that sense of it, you're going to find that a lot of the conflict would come down because after a while, we stop seeing the loyalty part and we don't see the person as our our loving mate. We hardly see him as a friend and we begin to see him as an enemy. So I'd like to give you, it's not going to be up on the screen, so you might have to really lean into this. I would like to say what loyalty will say. Loyalty will say this. Number one, let's stop attacking each other and let's attack the problem together. Let's stop attacking each other and let's attack the problem together. Sometimes we're so busy trying to fix blame instead of trying to fix the problem. And that really hinders it. And there's a word that you might think in terms of that. The importance of coming together, of fixing not blame on someone, but let's fix the problem and circle the word together. We're on the same team. And there is a problem here. And it may even be between us. But this problem shouldn't be that which is going to destroy the relationship. It's a problem like a splinter that both of us can take out. I like the verse in Romans 12, 10. Do you see it there? Would you read it out loud with me? Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. It doesn't mean that you have to agree on everything. You're not ever going to agree on everything. Carolyn, and I don't agree on everything. A lot of people don't agree on everything. But you do keep the main thing, the main thing, and the little things that you disagree with they ought not to be marriage breakers, they ought not to be relationship breakers, they ought to be different strokes for different folks and that's really what brings harmony. And sometimes it's good when everybody's singing the exact same note and you feel the power of that, but when that same group breaks out into harmony, there's just something special, it just sounds even sweeter. And yet it's a little bit different, but they're all in the same song together. Loyalty also says this, it says we're in this together. And maybe a word next to that would be the word commitment. I remember years ago I was reading a book by a man who was pastoring in Pennsylvania, he is in heaven now, his name is Andrew Telford. The book was a little paperback book and I saved it, It it's so simply written. I don't remember a whole lot of what he actually wrote in the book but I like what he had on the cover. And you know what he had on the cover of the book? This was on his cover is what Carol and I decided to own in our own relationship. He said, marriage is not wedlock. It's padlock. And when I got thinking about that, I don't want you to think about padlock like a ball and chain, but I want you to think in terms of padlock like it is a commitment. I know of couples that have chosen never to use the D word in any conversation, no matter how heated a discussion or disagreement would be. What do you think the D word is? It's the word divorce. Because they didn't even want to say that word so that perhaps Satan could come in and begin to plant a seed that would think that there may be an option to get out of this thing. And so they said, we won't even say that because we are committed to one another. So we're in this thing together. Many of you have heard the illustration that Carol and I, I don't know where we got this, someone gave it to us. It's a little tiny, dinky ceramic bank. And it's a kind you, you put little money in a little slot and there's a little, little rubber cushion at the bottom. You kind of unplug it and you can take the money out. But what this little bank is, is two people that are so poor that the bank is a barrel. Have you ever seen the old-fashioned cartoons when you're so poor you have to wear a barrel? How many have seen something like that? But on on the outside of that bank, there's two people, a guy and a gal in there. I guess they're married, hopefully. And it said this on the outside. At least we have each other. And so we looked at that and said in our relationship that no matter what goes south with the kids or economy or health or ministry or whatever, no matter what happens, at least we have each other. And so that's part of the devotion, the padlock part That makes it say, okay, since we can't get out of this thing, let's make this thing work in some measure. And I know some of you are saying, that's easy if one wants to do it and the other one doesn't. And I know that. And I know that's tough. There have been times when Carol and I, usually me, when she wanted us to go in a direction and I didn't want to do that. And she was committed and I wasn't as committed. And I know that pained her a great deal. But I'm so glad that I had people in my life like I hope we are to you, that that's still not an option You need to make it work, and it is workable, and you can make it work. Number three, loyalty says we reaffirm our love to each other. We reaffirm our love to each other. Now, we're talking about showing sympathy, hearing their feelings, but we're also saying I'm devoted to you. Now, that could be in marriage, but it could be in any relationship, a roommate that some of you might have. It could be a family member, a brother, a sister, a parent that you're struggling with, but at least you're saying to each other that I want to reaffirm my love to you. We really aren't enemies and why are we fighting? It's like the old statement, Houston we have a problem, but the problem isn't us, it's something that's happening within this. Now if you don't mind I'd like to speak to some of you that are demonstrating your discomfort with one another with words that are tearing each other down in front of your kids or in front of unsaved people in your family or neighbors who have listening ears or people at work that are listening to you on the telephone scream at your mate. I don't know where it might be, but let me just speak to you for a moment. If it is in front of your kids, it could cause your kids to begin thinking, I wonder how authentic mom and dad are when they say we love each other or even when they go as far to say we're devoted with one another and yet they hear us screaming and yelling at one another. And maybe that's not your way. You might not scream and yell. Your way might be to send the signal that you retreat into a period of quietness and you shut down and so we'll call that passive aggression because that's what counselors would call it. But in any measure, you are sending a signal that you don't like X, whatever it might be. And I would like you to know that your kids, believe it or not, you think they don't hear you, especially when you say, would you walk the dog, clean the cat box, take the garbage out, pick up your clothes. I know they're listening. Because all you have to do is whisper to your mate and say, I think, I think at Christmas we're going to go to the mainland and we're going to go to Disneyland. You can whisper that and they'll hear that in school. They just have good ears. Now that being said... You can imagine kids who desperately need stability in their own life, that around them the world is like this, and then they hear the two people that purport to have stability are now yelling at each other, especially when they hear that their friend's parents have been breaking up or have broken up or that's all happening. And so now you've got a domino effect, a spiral down into the family. And so let me just encourage you that should you have those bad hair days, or bad hair moment, and you begin to send out those negative signals, negative energy to one another, and those kids are picking it up. But you remember very quickly to reaffirm to your mate and to your kids that there are things that sometimes we don't agree with each other, but we really do love one another, and we really do care. And yeah, we're having this discussion, and we need to sort this out and make it right, but son, daughter, friend, we're going to make this thing work. And maybe just having those kids knowing that they're listening to you, that might be enough of a governor to kind of give you a little wake-up call to think about how this thing might be happening to you. So remember, divorce should never be an option. Here's the fourth thing that loyalty says. Loyalty is accepting each other's differences. Loyalty is accepting each other's differences. When I say that, it's because I do believe that we do have differences. And yes, opposites do attract, and I think some of those things are what really help you. Uh, Let me give you a couple of uh, general illustrations about how it might be. For example, let's say some of you are picky perfectionist types. I'm sure you're probably not, but let's say you are picky perfectionist type.